Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, less than 24 hours after recording the postgame podcast, we're here talking about Pittsburgh Steelers. Thankfully, this is the last time the Broncos will play a game that kicks off at 8.20 Mountain Standard Time. Yeah, you think you're complaining. I, I mean, I was up until 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, 2.30 actually, uh, and then had to wake up at, at 6.30. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling on four hours of sleep here. And uh, the worst part, obviously, is that we're not even celebrating anything. If, if it was a celebration, I wouldn't mind. But mostly you just spend the entire day being frustrated at what transpired on the field for the Denver Broncos in their season opener. And, you know, we, we definitely – we, we got into a, a pretty good discussion, I think, in the postgame recap about what had happened. But uh, 24 hour, less than 24 hours later, getting to process it throughout the day, you're, there's still questions, right? We still have questions about what, what took place. And I would have to say that Vic Fangio really didn't offer up any substantial answers that, that I would accept. Would you agree with that? I would actually think that he made it worse because – as you said before we started recording, he did come out and admit that it was his fault, that he made a mistake. And I, I'll, I'll accept it, but my problem is, why didn't you do it from the beginning? And part of me wonders if it's the heat of the moment, like it was right after the game, he hadn't really had the chance to process it. But say it right away. When when you come out and you start making these excuses right after the game, like, well, we were playing the odds. Well, as we said after after the game, he's still a Hall of Fame kicker, and it was a chip shot at that point. You said that he could have made it blindfolded. I'll say he could have done it left-footed, and he would have made that kick. So just come out and admit it right away. But now, as you said, I think there's more questions now because of that. Because he said that he was so focused on the defensive play calling that he lost sight of the time management. As a head coach, gone through your first season in similar situations, four times come to mind. You're not prepared for that situation. Why? It can't be because of preseason. You're not going to get that kind of battle-tested late-game clock management in a preseason game. So why is it not a situation that you're prepared for? And this brings up something that we didn't talk about on the podcast, and I'm going to throw it out there for you. On that fourth down that the Titans scored their second touchdown to give them 13 points, Gostowski then misses the extra point. Brian Greasy said something. They weren't prepared for the play. And that has stuck with me because the miscommunication between Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, if you remember 
The guy was wide open. So this all ties into this. Why aren't they prepared? The preseason wouldn't have had anything to do with this. It's situational football. It's fourth and one from the one. It's clock management where a team is driving down and you have three effing timeouts. Why are you not prepared for this, especially since you have gone through it before? Yeah, you you know, you bring up a good point. I'm going to address the Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson thing first. To me, I think you can explain that away as, uh, you know, lacking a little bit of of preseason. I think you can talk about it in in those terms. Not really 100% sure of where you are and what you want to do and those kinds of things. That's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. I didn't like uh, seeing Justin Simmons do the Chris Harris Jr. hand wave at the other guy like, where were you? Uh, Because that to me looks like you're passing off blame there. But it was probably more of, you know, why weren't you over there? Was I, you know, I, I think that they probably will get together and they'll fix that. Those kinds of things to me are fixable, right? Issues on the field can be addressed and can be fixed. And I think that there is enough maturity and enough talent on the defense that they'll be able to fix that. And quite frankly, I'm not going to put too much of of what happened in this game as far as the loss goes on what's going on with the defense because they only gave up 16 points. And I know Guskowski had a terrible night and missed some field goals and an extra point and yada, yada, yada. But – to me, that the biggest issue from the from the season opener against the Titans is that clock management issue. And if what Vic Fangio is telling us is true, and this is something that I, I really don't want to hear this from the head coach of my favorite football team, but if he's telling us that because he was so wrapped up in calling the plays on defense that he lost track or lost sight of what was going on with the clock, then... I think that you have to maybe evaluate what your role is as a head coach. You can still be the head coach and be the play caller on defense and maybe assign somebody the job of managing the clock. Maybe assign somebody the the job of paying attention to those in-game situations where if you're going to get wrapped up in calling defensive plays as the opposing team is driving down the field to potentially win the game, then have somebody else be in charge of, of managing the clock and using those timeouts and making sure that you don't have this kind of a mistake. And the issue will then become, well, does that mean that you're no longer the head coach and you're just a defensive coordinator? I don't know. And, and quite frankly, again, I'm not here to call for Vic Fangio's job. I don't think that this is a fireable offense. I don't think we've gotten to the point that we got to with, say, like a, a Vance Joseph as we, as we sort of realized at some point with him that it wasn't going to work out as a head coach for him, which I think Vance Joseph could probably go be a good defensive coordinator somewhere. But I will say it has the overtone of that. It has, and and maybe it's because it's so fresh in our minds, the way that things went with Vance Joseph. I'm not one of those people that's going to jump on Fangio and say, let's fire him now. That's not where I'm, where I'm going. And I'm also not going to say that, well, if we held Fangio to this standard, or if we held uh, you know Vance Joseph to this standard, we got to hold Fangio to this standard. It's they're different players or coaches, excuse me, on you know somewhat different teams, and, it, and you know I I'm just not going to go there. But it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. It left a really bad taste in my mouth because what I wanted from Vic Fangio was for him to come out and say. Man, we screwed that up. I should have called timeout. I, I I was paying attention to the defensive play calls 
And I got wrapped up in that. And I know I have to be better and I'm going to get better. Boom, done. We're done. Right? We, we record the podcast and say, well, you know, we wish you would have done better. But he knows that he's got to get better and he's going to improve. Instead, it was we have to wait until the next day for him to realize or him to see that the things that he said obviously sounded ridiculous and it wasn't good. So we're still we're still in that learning curve, not just for the, the young offense and not just for the defensive players, but also for the coaching staff. And if, if this is something that Vic Fangio needs to get better at, I'm fine with that, but he better get better at it. He needs to improve in that situation now, today. He needs to realize that he cannot be so wrapped up in calling defensive plays that he can't manage the clock because that's your job or find somebody to manage the clock for you while you're calling defensive plays. I'm fine either way, but do what you got to do to fix it. Take the necessary steps. I would prefer that he delegate the calling of defensive plays and make sure that he gets better at clock management and time management and situational football. That's how he becomes a better head coach. We know he's a good defensive coordinator. He needs to be a better head coach. So delegate the defensive play calls to Ed Donatel. If, if you're so wrapped up that you can't see the forest through the trees and call timeouts, delegate. That's what head coaches are supposed to do. He needs to do it because what it's clearly not working. I just had a realization as we were talking about this. Do you remember what the biggest complaint about Andy Reid used to be when he was with the Eagles and for a long time with the Kansas City Chiefs? What was the worst? What was the thing he was worst at? Trust me, I've wanted to talk about it for two days. Okay. But I can't because I can't rip on Andy Reid anymore. Well, I'm not ripping on Andy Reid. That's not that's not where I'm going with this. I want to be able to, <laughs> but because F and Ryan Pace traded up to get Mitch Trubisky, I can't do it anymore. I know. Because trust me, my wife said to me after the game last night, you realize Vic Fangio went to the Andy Reid school of clock management. Yeah. So I think that what, here's what I'm going to say. That is a skill. Clock management is a skill. And some guys some guys don't, but some guys can learn it. And so Vic Fangio is, is a little bit of Andy Reid on the defensive side of the ball. In that respect. So if you if you think about it in those terms, it's going to get better. I think I think that Vic Fangio has the ability to correct his mistakes there. That was something that was that was blatant. It was an obvious error on his part to not be calling those timeouts. That's not something that I think you'll see moving forward because here we are, not just us, but I think everyone in the Denver media uh, <laughs> sort of conglomeration is is piling on, so to speak. We're all pounding on Vic Fangio today a little bit. So it, that'll get fixed. But it it is reminiscent of the issues that you get or used to have with Andy Reid as the offensive play caller, getting so wrapped up in calling offensive plays that you lose track of what's going on around you as far as the clock and, and game and, and just flow of the game and those kinds of things. So I, I don't think we need to continue to dwell on it. But it's not a bad thing to keep in the back of your mind that this this may be an issue that that pops up a few more times before he eventually starts to figure out what it is to be a head coach in the NFL. And I know we all want instant success, but I don't think that that's what you're going to get here. I think there's a learning curve. And we either have to be willing to accept it or we're just going to end up with another Vance Joseph situation where the fans are screaming for the head of the head coach. And that's where I think it's it's important to be patient 
and allow that learning curve, but also to be hard on Vic Fangio because in the same situation, he's going to be hard on those players and expect them to get it figured out. He needs to get this figured out. This is now five times that they've had a lead late in games and lost. It needs to get figured out. He needs to start delegating so that he can get better at situational clock management football. Because it, it, it is very hard. It is very, very hard. And that's a, and a kudos to, to Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan. They were phenomenal in situational football. Phenomenal. Think about how many games the Broncos in 2015 on the path to the Super Bowl. You could say that it was lucky. But I also think it's because of the coaching, that they they went through those situations. Granted, they had an offseason to go through it, which they didn't have this year. But learn it. Delegate. Yes. Get in the room and figure out how I can get better. And that's something that Bill Belichick does because he calls the defensive plays too, and he is phenomenal at, situation, at situational football. For the most part, there's that – Indianapolis, New England, AFC Championship game where he decided to go for it. There was, yeah, that was a miss on his part. But I mean, you can't expect but, perfection at all times. Exactly, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, be patient. But it's okay to be hard on them and point it out when it's really that blatant. Yeah, I I totally agree with you on that. And and the other thing, I think the last thing that we need to say uh, on this game against the Tennessee Titans is there there is so, something positive you can take from this, and and that is that. The, the Denver Broncos played a very um, okay game, and I'm going to say very okay here, which I know is kind of silly, without their top wide receiver, who they were definitely missing, without their uh, with without Von Miller, who was a, and is a huge presence on the field that opens things up for other defensive players. They didn't have A.J. Boye for the entire second half. They lost Phillip Lindsay to a foot injury uh, early on in the game. I mean, it was there are there are things there. Jerry Judy didn't look like Jerry Judy on some of those drops that, you know, uh, he's going to fix those problems. I think even Drew Locke looked a little bit out of sorts because he didn't have his timing down with his receivers. There were a lot of little things that I think can be fixed pretty quickly. So I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to say that this is the end of, of the road here for the Denver Broncos and we need to start looking at, you know, tank for Trevor. That's not that's not going to happen right now. That's not that's not what this is. But it didn't feel good to know that they lost a game that they certainly had in hand and could have won if they had done things a little bit differently. But I, I think that's that's kind of where that gets left. Anyway, and you mentioned the offense. I I think that's where you can really take focus on and realize you get Cortland Sutton back, you get KJ Hamler back, Philip Lindsay. We'll see. I'm worried that he's injury prone and can't be reliable, relied upon to be on the field. I think that's why they signed Melvin Gordon. I think that's one of the major reasons they did. Careful. You're going to get us in trouble with people. But I, you can see that there is potential there. And I know that's a dangerous word, but you could see it last night. There were moments that they, they looked really good. They looked better than they did last year. And there's some things that you can – really grab a hold on. They had three drives of over 60-plus yards. The offense didn't get flagged for a penalty. Not a single penalty on offense. I, I mean, yeah. Garrett Bowles didn't get called for anything. 
It was like he wasn't on the field, but I know he was there. But he, you, you could get, see him. You, I, it's hard to miss. He's a big dude. You, you get, it's, it's not like you can't see him. He's there. He's huge. So, yeah, I, I think the the only time you really heard about the offensive line was when they were talking about uh, one time when Elijah Wilkinson got burned. That was that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, there was a little bit uh, on the interior. They talked a little bit about Lloyd Cushenberry and some things with early on with the, the bobbled snaps. There were a couple of issues there, but really, which I think is on lock. I, th- I I agree. That's that's on the quarterback more than on the on the center. And so, yeah, the offensive line, the thing that we were all the most worried about, not so bad. Hey, he's okay, you know. So we'll kind of we'll kind of take it from there. Uh, what what we end up with though is with this quick turnaround because not only do they have, uh, you know, the latest game on Monday night. Now they have to go and play on the road. Uh, is Denver Broncos taking the show to Pittsburgh. And we talked a little bit about this uh, before. Pittsburgh is not an easy place for the Broncos to play. They don't travel east very well. And so, yikes. Is that, <laughs> is that the way to say that? I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about all this. I think the reason to say yikes is that Pittsburgh defense. That Pittsburgh defense looks like it could be a major problem for this offense. Yeah, and I can already hear uh, – uh, members of the Denver media complaining about not having Devin Bush on the team and instead having Noah Fant. I, I, did you hear it? Yeah. Oh, we could have had Devin Bush. No, but now we have Noah Fant and Drew Locke. But that's fine. It's fine. And Dalton Reisner. And Dalton Reisner. That's right. I mean, but no. And no. potentially Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah. But no, no. I don't. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we don't have Devin Bush, one player. Although I, I am also uh, someone who's in the camp of it would be really nice if they would get an elite inside linebacker at some point. Uh, in the in the future here for the rest of my life because the last elite inside linebacker they had was Al Wilson. Al Wilson. Yep. So, you know, it'd be nice to upgrade. I mean, I, I like Alexander Johnson, but you know, come on. I'm just saying that's 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 I suppose for draft talk. Maybe somebody can help us out with that. But uh, they're going to go to Pittsburgh. They're going to play a really good defense and. You know, there's they have. I'm not gonna say they have no chance to win. They definitely have a chance, but they they're gonna have to make some things happen that they just weren't able to do against the Tennessee Titans at home on Monday night in front of the home crowd of as many as I think was it 500 people. So, so no, I think it was only loved ones of yeah, the team. Yeah, fan, friends. Well, they're not exactly gonna be raucous fans yeah they had to be on their friends and family plan on the on their cell phones if they weren't on the friends and family plan they couldn't get in one benefit to this and we touched on it before is the fact that you're not going to have all those pittsburgh fans now it's not going to be loud you're not going to have the terrible towels twirling around heinz field so that is a benefit i am curious to see how being on the road in quotes is in 2020 because as we touched on on the postgame recap, there were some moments where you could tell the fans not being in the stands was noticeable. And that the, the first one was that after the whatever the hell that was calling a shovel pass to the least athletic guy on the field on fourth and one, you could then see it. Because at that point, that's one of the loudest points of the stadium is the north end of Mile High Stadium, just as it was in the old Mile High they would have been loud and raucous. It would have been really hard for Ryan Tannehill to get plays in at that point, and it would have fired up the defense even more 
I'm curious to see how that transitions to the Broncos now being the road team in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you have uh, uh, the history of seeing those stupid yellow towels and they're so uh, pervasive and prevalent. I mean, you, you could even think back to the, the AFC championship game in 2005, if you want to, was it 05? I feel like that's the right. Yeah, that's it was right January, thing. but it was January 06, right. but the 05 season. Exactly. And the terrible Thanks, towels, Mike Shanahan. the terrible towels spinning around at Mile High Stadium. That would, that's the first time I've ever been disappointed in Broncos country for not showing up. But that's, that's the past. And what we know is they're going to show up in Pittsburgh and they're going to, uh, they're going to, they're going to play a football game. And so I guess let's talk about what are the keys to the game. Let's jump into it. Let's go ahead and, and do our thing. We've got our, we've got our rundown here. What are the keys to the game for the Denver Broncos? I'll let you go first. For me, it's what you had last week. You have to score touchdowns. If the Broncos score on that inside the one, if they score a touchdown there, they win the game. They have 21 points. That wins the game. More often than not, 21 points above is going to win a football game. You have to, you have to score touchdowns. When your defense gives up 16 points, limits one of the best offensive players, one of the best running backs in football, to a meh 116 yards rushing and 3.7 yards per carry. You need to win that football game. The offense has to score touchdowns. It'll it'll be interesting to see if Cortland Sutton gets back on the field. It sounds like KJ Hamler is going to be at practice. If they can get them back in some form or fashion, that's going to be so much of a help because that deep pass that you saw to Deshaun Hamilton, how many times – has Drew Locke thrown that pass to Deshaun Hamilton in, pass, in practice? And how many times has he thrown that to Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, to Jerry Judy? My guess is he hasn't thrown it that many times to Deshaun Hamilton. And you can see that with the timing. But score touchdowns. Score touchdowns. It's cliche. It's simple. It's basic. But it's all true. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball because that's clearly the issue. And and I'm going to go with something that I don't think any of us expected. But I think the key to the game is for the offensive line to continue to have the success that they had against the Tennessee Titans. And and that success was no mistakes by Garrett Bowles. Uh, one mistake by Elijah Wilkinson as far as just blocking goes, right? But no penalties. And we, it, that is a shocking occurrence as the Denver Broncos have been destroyed in the past or the last few seasons by these drive-killing calls or these drive-killing plays by Garrett Bowles in particular. And so he needs to continue to be anonymous on the field. He needs to continue to be someone who you don't even think about until about the fourth quarter and you go, man, have they – have they even called a penalty on Garrett Bowles? Is the, did the game start yet? Because that was what happened against the Titans. I, I remember sitting there in the fourth quarter going, wait a minute. Have they called a penalty on Garrett Bowles yet? Because I feel like they should have, right? Isn't that – we're at the point now where there's like four or five of them. So Garrett Bowles and Elijah Wilkinson and and obviously Lloyd Cushenberry and Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow, they need to they need to do what they can to do – as little as possible when it comes to hearing their number and their name when it <laughs> over over the PA system and on the airwaves as we're watching the game. Because if they can do that, 
if they can if they can keep Drew Locke upright, if they can open up some holes for Melvin Gordon, who I think is going to you're not going to see Philip Lindsay. At least that's the way it's starting to feel on my end. I think they have a chance because this this Pittsburgh defense is going to be difficult for this Broncos offense. And so the offensive line's got to step up again and have a repeat performance. That's going to be a huge key to the game. I'm going to steal one from Jeff. Okay. Jeff Esri had the Scotty key to the game. It was really simple. Don't be dumbasses. Yeah, you got to be you got to be smart, <laughs> which they they kind of weren't at the end of that game against the the, the Titans and so hopefully they can carry that uh carry some intelligence into into Pittsburgh and, and maybe pull out a win. All right. Uh so I'm going to throw out another one that we both agree. Well, this is the one that we agreed that is the key to the game. And I think it's the key to the whole season, aside from scoring touchdowns, but it's tied to that. And that's winning the turnover battle. I don't remember the last time the Broncos won a turnover battle because this defense doesn't create turnovers. And when they do create turnovers, they get flagged for non-existent penalties. But that's beside the point. Win the turnover battle. Get after Ben Roethlisberger. F up his shoulder or arm, whatever it is, again. Get him off the field. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger. Me neither. I don't like Pittsburgh. I, I, I joked, I haven't liked the Pittsburgh Steelers since the 70s and Terry Bradshaw, and I wasn't even alive then. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. But so you're right about win, that. win the turnover battle. If they can win the turnover battle, that allows you to potentially score more touchdowns and limit Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers from scoring touchdowns. Thanks, John Madden. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. You know, the other thing that it does is it will help you run more than six plays in a quarter. I think that was the other thing that uh, that, that drove me nuts was that, that third quarter. And I've talked about the third quarter being an incredibly important quarter in, in all sports just because when you come out of the locker room, that's your opportunity to either change the game to be in your favor or put sort of the, the final – stamp on the neck kind of of moment in the game and it's been an issue for the broncos coming out in the third quarter and it's been sort of these whimpery like no nothing quarters you can't go three and out give up a long drive then go three and out and give up another long drive and think that you're going to walk away from that game as a winner it just it's just not going to happen they they cannot have a quarter where they don't control the football at least somewhat. You you can't lose the 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 possession battle like that. And you're right. Turnovers are how you win a possession battle. Turnovers are the way that you win the battle of time of possession, which also helps you win the field position battle, which helps you win the scoring battle, which helps you win the actual battle, which is the game. Is there a way that we could send some of the Nuggets mojo in the Orlando Walt Disney World bubble? to the Broncos because whatever Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets are doing in the third, in the third quarter, bottle that up and give it to Drew Locke and the Broncos. Because if you don't know, if you're listening to this, the last two games against the Los Angeles Clippers, the Nuggets were down at least 16 points to the Clippers in the third quarter and came back and won. So bottle that up and ship it to Denver to give it to Drew Locke and the Broncos. See, I wasn't going to talk about the Nuggets because I feel like anytime we talk about uh, other Denver teams, we're kind of the 
we're the downfall of, of whatever it is that they're doing that's good. So I was going to avoid that a little bit. Well, there will be no predictions or no or no further talk about Game 7, which will take place and will have been over by the time people listen by to this. By the time but you hear this, you'll know if we screwed it up or not. <laughs> if the Nuggets will advance to take on the, on the Los Angeles Lakers, which, just real quick, if the Nuggets do win, how much BS is it? And it's even BS if it's the Clippers, that they play a Game 7 and immediately start the next series the next day for the second time uh, if if you're the nuggets because they did the same exact thing against the the Utah Jazz if i'm not mistaken so uh, it is it is it's it's a little bit hard that's a little rough right that's a that's that's a bit strong if you will so you know i know the nba is trying to get their games in and just like everybody else the, the schedules are a little crazy because of what's going on in the world with the pandemic and whatnot but uh, yeah that would be totally unfair uh, anyway, yeah. enough of the Nuggets. We're not gonna no jinx it. Yeah, we're not gonna wood. We're, we're talking about that, right? Okay. All right. So then, who's your player to watch? Let's go players to watch. Let's jump into it. There. Who? Who on the? You want to go offense or defense? I'll let you pick. Let's start defense. All right. So who on the defensive side of the ball are you watching in this game? Bradley Chubb. He needs to be at least a normal Chubb. He, he wasn't a normal Chubb on Monday night. He had a couple of pressures, but he really didn't make any kind of real impact on the game. Chubb needs to make an impact. Yeah. We need an impactful Chubb. And, and, and a Chubb that, that really can just sort of get in there and break things up, you know? Uh, and that's – that's you got to get some pressure from Chubb. I, I'm with you on that. I like that. Uh, and that, real quick, we didn't touch on this. I touched on it on my winners and losers at Mile High Report. We, we need to give a huge credit to Jeremiah Tachu and Malik Reed. I thought both of them played really, really strong games, especially knowing that they are going to step in and replace somebody that's irreplaceable. I mean, there are very few Vaughn Millers currently in the NFL. There have been very few Vaughn Millers in the history of the NFL. To have the type of showing that Jeremiah Tachu and Malik Reed had, if they can get that and then you get normal Chubb, you're going to start to see the potential for a pass rush that could flip games around because I really like the way the defensive line and the rush defense played. Now it's get that consistent pass rush. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to sort of go uh, further back. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the the defensive backfield in general. Uh, AJ Boye's injury. I don't know if that means he's going to miss a game uh, or if he's going to be ready to go. uh, If it's a, a shoulder separation those are the kinds of injuries that if you don't do any damage, then you can probably get back in there pretty quickly. You know, you shoot it up with painkillers if that's what you want to do. Uh, but but there's they're, they're a little thin there. And it felt like Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson weren't necessarily on the same page uh, for a lot of that game. There were, there were little mistakes made here and there. But the defense, it's not like the defense did a bad job. You know, again, that sort of bend but don't break mentality that the Broncos have had for the last few years is still there but can Justin Simmons especially but that defensive backfield kind of step up and do what they need to do to stop a Juju a Juju Smith-Schuster for example because that's going to be an issue because he's a handful as a wide receiver and can they stop the tight end can they can they make it so that uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers cannot pick them apart through the air for all of those yards that that lead to long drives and that's that's the other thing those types of plays 
lead to these long drives. And the longer you're out on the field as a defensive unit, the less energy you have as the game goes on. I know. Thank you, John Madden. And so, or Booger, or Booger, as you say, or Booger McFarlane. You beat me by this much. And so you have to you have to be steady in making a stop on third and eight or you know third and nine, third and ten, those situations. And that really comes from I think uh, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson and what they do in the in the defensive backfield. So that's that's who I'm looking at. That's who I'm watching on on defense. Uh, offense, I'll let you, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first again. Look at me, I'm so I'm so polite today. Jerry Judy. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I I joked in winners and losers. I never thought that I would put the rookie receiver on the losers list because of drops. I mean, I did, it has never been an issue for him. I've never heard of him having drops at Alabama. So the fact that he did, I want to see if he responds and how he responds. Obviously, he has his veteran teammates are seeing that he knows he needs to be better. And I have no doubt, like I said on the postgame podcast, that he's going to be in front of a jugs machine catching hundreds of balls. I want to see how he comes out and responds after a hit and miss first game. Because there are, there are times that he flashed. You could see it with his route running and his quickness, his stop on a dime and go the opposite direction. Now can he get rid of the drops? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. I'm going to go with two, and I, I don't mean to, to double up here, but the first one is a guy who I think we're going to see, but we might not. All kind of depends on what the Broncos do, and that's Cortland Sutton. Uh, and, and the reason it's Cortland Sutton is because I want to see the difference between the offense with Cortland Sutton and without Cortland Sutton. How much impact can he really have or is he really going to have on the offense when he gets in there? And so for me – it's got to be Cortland Sutton and so much as how does he change the approach that the Denver Broncos take to the game? And then the other guy that I'm going to say, and and I, I think it's always the person who we're going to watch. You could sort of put him on this like list of always a player to watch. We don't have to say it every week, but we probably will. And that's Drew Locke. Uh, Drew Locke had what I would call a meh game. Uh, he made some some bad throws on deep balls, which we talked about. That might be timing with the receiver. Uh, it might just be that he felt you know a little bit of disruption from the defensive line, or just didn't feel comfortable. But I want to see what type of recovery he has from a game where he looked meh. He looked okay. He had a great connection with Noah Fant early on, and then Fant sort of disappeared. And at that point, when you have a player who you have a good connection with kind of disappear. Maybe he's taken away by the defense. Now it's your job as the quarterback to step up and find that other guy that you can go to. And I think it could have been Jerry Judy. And those drops definitely hurt that a little bit. Those two drops were a big deal. They were huge impact plays in the game. So can Drew Locke sort of recover from that? Because that starts to wear on you mentally as well. Can I throw it to that guy? Because he just drops the ball every time I put it there. Or is he going to be? Is he going to make the right route? Is he going to run the right place? Am I going to be able to make that throw? I, I, you start to worry about it. Are doubts going to creep in? And I know it's early. It's one game. Let's not overreact. But if it continues, if it's something that you see again in Pittsburgh, 
Is that going to start to become a recurring theme for the Denver Broncos? And is it going to become a problem for the development of Drew Locke, who I think we're all really rooting for to become the guy in Denver? I also want to see how the coaching staff responds. I mean, Pat Shermer didn't exactly call a stellar game in the second half. And we touched on Vic Fangio's situational football and clock management at the end of the game. So I'm curious to see how the coaching staff responds. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of room to grow. I guess if, if you want to find a real positive, there's a lot of room to grow. You know, they're going to, they, they got a, they got a one direction to go and it's uh it's up. And, uh, even if the arrow's pointing up, if the elevator doesn't go because it's broken, it doesn't matter. I suppose that's that's a part of that problem. All right. Uh, you got any bold predictions for our Broncos-Steelers matchup on Sunday? Week 2, 2020 COVID season? I'm going to carry over my offensive player to watch in Jerry Judy, and I'm going to say that he has a very strong game. I'm going to say he has at least 100 yards receiving and at least one touchdown like that okay i see i'm gonna go back to my defensive players to watch to make my bold prediction and i'm gonna predict that the the broncos justin simmons and kareem jackson force two turnovers an interception and a forced fumble and recovery i think that uh they they have a, a pretty big game and they step up and and I, I think it's pretty natural to look at guys who struggled in one game and and predict that they're gonna have a big game the next game because that's what they're gonna be trying to do and so i'm I'm looking at Justin Simmons and, and Kareem Jackson in particular as two guys that are going to force two turnovers and help the Broncos win the turnover battle and maybe even win the game. So that, that's, that's my that's that's the start of my bold predictions there. And I guess what we'll do is we'll jump right into our score predictions just so that we can figure out who we think is going to win. Uh, I, I felt from the beginning of the season that this was a game the Broncos were going to lose. I think they're going to lose. As it stands now, they're a six and a half point dog at most of the at most of the books in Colorado. I don't see them overcoming that. So if you're going to bet on this game, I wouldn't, because <laughs> don't bet on a favorite because you're not going to win. Right. Okay. That's one of the as someone who covers the industry now, and you see these huge bets from people that are just throwing away money like $100,000 on the Clippers. Well, the Clippers are a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Why? I, I, whatever. That, that's, a, that's a completely different topic. If you're going to bet on this game, don't. If you're because, thinking about it, don't do it. Because I, 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 just, I don't have a good feeling about it. If I was going to bet it, I wouldn't. Even if the Broncos are a huge underdog, that's where you could because the, the reward is greater than the risk. And that's all that you can ask for in sports betting, especially with I've said it ad nauseum on this podcast with the insane promos that these books have. It's like betting with free money. Well, I still wouldn't. They, that's how they get you hooked, right? First taste is yes. free. So don't, don't forget because that. Because then it, it's usually in credits and you, you can only spend it that's on right. their book. It's pretty smart, um, But I, I, I'm going to say the Steelers win this game. I think it'll be close. I don't think you're going to see the Broncos blown out until they play the Chiefs in December. I I think it's going to be close, and I, it could swing. I think it, if, if they win the turnover battle, which I don't think they can because I haven't seen them do it, if they do, that's what will allow them to win this game because it will give them one extra possession or two, depending on the amount of turnovers they get. 
But I want to say Pittsburgh wins this game, what, 24-21? Okay. Yeah, that's pretty close to my prediction. Uh, and I know that that uh, may seem uh, strange because I do have a bold prediction here. My bold prediction is that the Broncos will win the turnover battle. I think they'll win the t- turnover battle 2-1. to one. I think you, you're going to get those two turnovers that I predicted would happen. They'll win the turnover battle, but they'll lose the game. I, I agree with you. I think they cover. Uh, I have no no doubt in my mind, but I think they end up losing. They fall just short, just as they have been doing in these close games, just like we talked about in week one. If they're going to win these games, they got to win in blowouts because they don't win close games. I think they're going to lose a close one here, 21-19. Uh, it, it's a good showing to go out to Pittsburgh, Heinz Field, and I think they'll drop 19 points on on Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, and I think they'll give up three touchdowns and lose the game. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that all goes. But that's one that's one instance where you could bet, given that that it's six and a half. If you do it against the spread, you can make money then. If you sure. say that that the Steelers will still win, but they won't cover, or the Broncos will lose and they'll cover. Yeah, maybe. We'll see what happens. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and uh, do our, our whip around the league, kind of see what's going on in the NFL uh, for week two, look at the AFC West, and, uh, and then we'll close things up, and, and you can enjoy the rest of your week. All right, we're back. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look, Ian, at what's going on in the NFL, do a little whip around, uh, focus a little bit on what's happening with the AFC West in week two uh, as we move forward. Kind of an interesting week for the AFC West. Uh, I'm looking at the actually I gotta tell you I'm looking at the schedule here for uh, on NFL Network. I just noticed NFL.com. Uh, they have the Broncos at the Steelers, but they have the Broncos as one and zero, and the Steelers as zero and one. Wow, too bad that's not true. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, did I miss something? I don't. I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure I stayed up for that game. Did I fall asleep? Am I dreaming now? What's going on here? I get that it's 2020, but. <laughs> It's not that 2020. It's a different 2020, that's for sure. So, all right. Well, let's let's do this. Why don't we look at the AFC West first, just to kind of get into what's happening uh, with teams from the AFC West. Obviously, the Broncos are playing uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Uh, but um, let's see here. Uh, Can- uh, Kansas City and the Chargers play each other. And then you get the Raiders on Monday night against the Saints. So, Chiefs win. Saints win. There. Boom. There you go. I mean, is there, is there really anything else you need to say? I think I think you're absolutely right there. Chiefs win in a landslide. Uh, in, yeah, I don't think it'll be close. No. Uh, and, I mean, I will say this. At least the Chargers are used to playing in empty stadiums, so there's that. Uh, well, I, I guess the benefit for them is that this new SoFi Stadium isn't going to be filled with Chiefs fans. Yeah, so there you go. That'll be that'll be nice for them. Uh, and then the, the Saints, I think, will will bring the Raiders back down to earth a little bit. Um, I they, think that if if I'm if I'm going bold prediction, I think the Saints drop at least forty on the Raiders. Wow, forty burger! All right, I, I mean that's there's your bold prediction for the AFC West, uh, that's for sure. So uh, you're everybody's going to watch the Raiders game because it's Monday night. Uh, nobody's going to watch the the Chiefs game because everybody hates the Chiefs, uh, and and so there you go. So any other games that sort of stand out to you or that make you uh, think, wow, I got to watch that game. It's not necessarily a game that I'm going to watch, but I think you're going to see who the better quarterback in Ohio is. And newsflash, it ain't Baker Mayfield, it's Joe Burrow. Because 
my God. I know we were a couple of the people who wanted Baker and Denver. I'm kind of glad that they didn't because at least he can make commercials because he can't play quarterback. Yeah, Baker Mayfield is as if uh, Peyton Manning uh, had no football talent but could make really good commercials. I mean, that's kind of what he is. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, though, and and I, I know that this is sort of a, a silly thing, but I really do wonder, is it Baker Mayfield or is it Cleveland? Because when was the last time Cleveland had a quarterback that was going to win them games? That was going Vinny, to oh, Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, I was going to say, is it was it was it Vinny was or was it Bernie Kosar? Oh, yeah, could have been. Oh, maybe it's Bernie Kosar. Yeah, that's it. It was Bernie Kosar because yeah. he was the one in the eighties. That's. I mean, I really think that's the last time you had a guy who uh, Otto Graham. Yeah, Otto, absolutely. Otto Graham at least won them championships. So I, I don't know if I Baker Mayfield needs a, a change of scenery because he's in Cleveland. I I, I would still bet on him being successful if he could get out of Cleveland. Like he's, I almost feel like at this point he's, if he's smart, he'll play so badly that they won't pick up his fifth year option. And then he can go play somewhere else and maybe become a a better quarterback because right now it it just is not, it's just not working. And I, I, you know, you feel for the guy, but not good, not good at all. Um, I would never bet on Baker Mayfield. No, (laughs) if it was commercials, totally, totally. When it comes to playing quarterback, uh-uh, no, nope. not even a little bit. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting here on this NFL.com schedule, and I'm looking at this. They've got a lot of um, records wrong. Uh, they're trying to tell me that the Ravens are 0-1 at the Texans, who are 1-0. I'm um, pretty sure that ain't right. Uh, <laughs> that's actually, By the way, that's a game that's I want to watch. I, I won't because Lamar Jackson's going to just completely go off. Yeah, I kind of like watching Lamar Jackson. I, you know, I had him in fantasy last year, so you kind of get into it. But I, I will say, talent-wise, one of the things that that I like to do is find guys that are interesting and fun to watch. And Lamar Jackson is interesting and fun to watch. And I, I will admit, I was one of those people that wanted him uh, on the Broncos. I didn't understand why he wasn't being drafted higher. Dude won the Heisman Trophy. Let's make it work. And the one thing that you see in Baltimore is that John Harbaugh is willing to take a guy and play to his strengths and make his team better by picking a guy who he knows he can work with. I think that to me is, is really something that to be admired. And so I kind of, I don't necessarily root for the Ravens cause I hate them very much, but I do like Lamar Jackson and I do root for him. I'll root for the Ravens. And it means the chiefs lose. Yeah. So I, I'm all for that. Yeah. I, my wife is a closet Lamar Jackson and Ravens, although it's not really a closet. she boasts about it all the time (laughs) it's not you're not in the closet if it's just something that you're always talking about that's for sure i Uh, will say after the the opener the the chiefs texans opener deandre hopkins had the the perfect troll of the texans and it's uh, and it's escaping me right now but he I, i i mean it was just a one word tweet that he sent out and i think it was um I think it was the word blessed, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Uh, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Happy to, <laughs> instead of writing, wow, I'm really happy I don't play for that terrible organization with an awful head coach who was a terrible GM as well. He just, you know, very simple, subtle, <laughs> blessed. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are some fun games. I'm, I'm going to say this, and don't be mad at me. I'm also interested in watching the Bills play this week. 
I, Josh Allen is becoming a bit of a, um, I, I like I want to see it because we we in particular were not big fans of his when he was coming out of Wyoming and were concerned that John Elway was going to draft him because he was a big, tall, uh, you know, big armed quarterback. And we thought, oh, he's just going to stick in the same mold that he's always been doing. He's just going to keep failing in the same way. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if, is he the guy that John Elway could have drafted that would have fit the mold that he wanted that would have worked out? Or is he going to start to fall on his face a little bit? Because he's been pretty good. He's been not bad. And you might even be able to argue that he is currently the best quarterback of that draft class. Well, it definitely helps to play the Dolphins. Yeah. So that's <laughs> true. Doesn't hurt. I'm curious. The, one of the games that's interesting is the Vikings and the Colts because both of those teams started off with losses. So I'm curious to see which overrated quarterback decides to show up. Yeah, who's gonna who's gonna step up and and actually show that they deserve to be there? Uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins is one that. You got to wonder, and there was an interesting tweet about him that I saw, and I I think uh, maybe Jeff shared it in Slack. Um, You know, Kirk Cousins threw, I think it was the most touchdown passes on play action of anybody in the NFL. And in their their season opener, they only ran one play action play the whole game. Like, let's take the one thing that this guy does the best and then just not do it. Like, why? That's what he does well. You. Again, that just goes back to why don't why are you not playing to the strengths of your of your best player? Supposedly, you can't just hand it to Dalvin Cook all the time. And isn't that a pretty nice play action pass setup? I'm just saying, like I'm not an expert, right? I, I might not know what I'm talking about, but I feel like I'm pretty close. And how about if you had the Washington Football Team Ooh. as the only team to win in the NFC East? You're lying. <laughs> you're not telling the truth it's i i mean i know they're not gonna beat the cardinals i think but who knows at this point maybe they could I, uh, the cardinals is another team though that's fun to watch because they've got kyler murray who is i, I almost want to say a shorter version of lamar jackson maybe is that fair uh, a better fair. a better version of baker mayfield perhaps and uh, and he's got deandre hopkins to throw to the, the On top of Larry Fitzgerald. The Cardinals beat the defending NFC Championship game to start their season. They they might be dangerous. They might be the team that actually challenges the Seahawks for the NFC West. Because I don't think it's the 49ers. I think the 49ers get hit with the, the Super Bowl hangover. That's what happens to teams when they lose a Super Bowl. They usually get, you know, take a year off. <laughs> I think that's going to happen to the 49ers. I don't care how good George Kittle is. Who's hurt now? Who is hurt? So I, I, th- I think it's the I think it's the Cardinals who could step into that role of challenging the Seahawks for the NFC West, and and this game uh, this week is is another step in that direction for them. I mean, they got to get past the Washington Football Team. The, when you see a football team, it looks like the fantasy owner that just hasn't picked a name yet. That's the other the other thing that I see when I look at. Oh, that fantasy team hasn't picked a name yet. That that that's totally it. So we didn't do our our Super Bowl picks last week. We didn't. I to me, I think the two best teams in the NFC are the Saints and the Packers. 
I think those are the, and then the Seahawks are right there. I think the, the Cardinals could be one of those teams that comes out of nowhere that could be a potential wildcard team, or as you said, contend with the Seahawks for the NFC West. I think the NFC East is not good. <laughs> I think people overestimated the Cowboys. Um, I feel shocked. <laughs> and the, I think the Eagles might be really bad. Like yeah. I, I think they could be a really, really, really bad football team. Um, so I think in the in the NFC, I think it's between the Saints and the Packers. That that, and I actually picked the Saints to be the NFC representative. Um, in the AFC, it's clearly the Chiefs. The Chiefs are just, they're clearly the class of the NFL. Um, I think the only hope of anyone beating them is the Ravens, but. I don't think they match up well with Kansas city. I think Kansas city will destroy Baltimore in any playoff game. And I actually think the chiefs are going to win their second super bowl back to back. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you said that. That's disgusting and gross. I, you, you take the negative attitude and, and you just, you just put that away. Nobody wants to hear that here. My hope is that in picking them, it puts the bad juju into the air. I see what you've done there. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm right with you on the NFC. I think the Saints and the Seahawks and the and the Packers, Saints and Packers are, are sort of the top. Seahawks just below them are clearly your favorites. And I, I, I tend to lean towards the Saints because I think they have the better defense. When you look yeah. at those three teams, and, and the Seahawks might actually – uh, have the second best defense when you start to look at those three teams. So I kind of lean Saints just because I like their defense better. Uh, I think their offenses are all about on the same page. Uh, just depends on what's going on with Michael Thomas and can Alvin Kamara be Alvin Kamara for an entire season or will he take the last half of the season off like he's done his entire career? But but I'm with you on that. I would pick the Saints I, now. As far as the AFC goes, I th- I think you might be selling some teams short and. I'm going to throw one out there that the Broncos have to play in week two, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're a a sexy pick, if you will, for a lot of pundits out there. And I don't think they make the Super Bowl. That's not my prediction. But I think they could be a disruptor in the playoffs and one of those teams that they might end up running into. They might knock off a Baltimore Ravens or a Kansas City Chiefs team. Uh, They have the potential to do that. I also think, and you're going to hate me for this, I might be drinking the Buffalo Bills Kool-Aid, which means I'm probably going to die uh, a fiery death being slammed into a table, which is fine. But I, I, I think the Bills might have something. They might be a year early, right? You're still sort of unsure what you have in Josh Allen, but you've got Stephon Diggs there. You've got John Brown. You've got, you've got a defense that seems to be pretty good. They have the potential to challenge for some type of AFC Maybe an AFC championship game. I don't know. I'm not picking the Chiefs. One of the hardest things to do in the NFL is repeat. It, it is incredibly difficult to, to be a repeat champion. And the Denver Broncos did it once. Uh, we've seen other teams do it. Obviously, the Patriots have done it. I, I think that there's a certain amount of mental toughness that you have to have. And I'm not saying the Chiefs don't have it. But the other thing that happens is you become a target for everybody else. And if that is the case for the Chiefs, they've never played with that target. It's been two generations since the Chiefs have played with that target on their back. So I don't know that they'll how they will respond. So I'm 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 going to go a different direction. I'm going to say that I think this is a, a the year that the Ravens actually do get into the Super Bowl, and I think you get a Drew Brees, 
Lamar Jackson Super Bowl that, that could be a lot of fun. It could be really interesting. I think those are your two representatives. And I think the Saints win a Super Bowl. I think Drew Brees wins a Super Bowl and then retires a la Peyton Manning. I think that's kind of what he's hoping for. I think that's what he's going to try for. And I think that's what he's going to get. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.